Hey everyone, welcome to We the Trust. On this podcast, we talk about the issues that plague the lives of men, from sonship to fatherhood, fitness to finance, emotions to spiritual formation. We push the boundaries that make most men uncomfortable. My name is Mario Casada, a pastor, mindset coach, and brand strategist living in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I am joined by Eric Chang, an entrepreneur, fitness coach, and author living in Arcadia, California. Welcome to season two. This is Roger. Uh, He is coming to We The Trust all the way from Indonesia. And um, he's a social entrepreneur. He has known Eric for, for a little bit of time. Uh, and so they're, they're friends back from uh, California where, where Roger was uh, a pastor uh, for a while. And um, now he's living in Indonesia doing, doing some really cool entrepreneur stuff. And we're going to be talking about being a leader today. So, hey, Roger, yeah. welcome. And uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background uh, on yourself and, and a little yeah, bit of your story. Welcome. Salamat. Yeah. Salamat. Is that how you say it? <laughs> so. Sure. You say it's Salamat Malam right now because it's 1.30 a.m. But Here we go. yeah, it's an honor to be with you guys. Uh, I listen to the podcast, so it's it's fun to be on here. Of our and, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I grew up in Atlanta, born and raised there, moved over to uh, California uh, for seminary, lived there for about nine years, and then recently, maybe two and a half years ago, moved over to Indonesia. Uh, I'm married to Jesse. We are, I think, celebrating 17 years this year. Oh, We've got four kids, and uh, we are living it up in Indonesia. One second. That was was a terrible terrible screen grab, Eric. So everybody look at the camera. (laughs) Everybody look at the camera, smile. All right, cool. I'll send you that. Um, 17, Roger, seriously, like, how old are you? I'm 41. <laughs> oh, so 17 years, you're 41. Man, that's, yeah. that's, that's rad. Um, okay, I didn't know you were, you were so close to my age. Um, I'm, I'm really old, but... Um, <laughs> not, not 41. I wish I was 41. Um, uh, anyway, so four kids in Indonesia and you just, you just pulled everybody into Indonesia and you say, Hey, we're going to live there. We're going to, we're going to do this. You thing. know, I, um, my wife and I for a while had actually been praying about moving abroad. Um, there, there's just something about for us, a pull to serve God in places where people don't know about God or about Jesus. And uh, we happen to live in an area that has one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. It's 40 million people uh, in this area. And so we paid for a long time. Um, then about, what is it, four years ago now, we came on a trip to Indonesia uh, with our church and just saw crazy miracles happening. We had the, the time of our lives here. And we prayed at the end of that summer and said, you know, God, is, is this the place that you're moving us to, that you're calling us to? Uh, my kids included uh, in that prayer time and just everyone heard yes. So we moved out here. And uh, the crazy thing is when our church talked about uh, wanted to do a project in Indonesia. I said, heck no, I don't want to go to that place. It's so hot. Um, and the thing is, as soon as I said it, I kind of heard God say like, why, why are you saying no already? You, you, you know, you don't, you haven't heard what this is going to be about. And so, um, it, it turns out that actually my, both of my parents are from, from Indonesia. Both of my parents were born and raised here. They immigrated to America right before having me. And so being in Indonesia now is a, a little bit of a, of a homecoming or like kind of reconnecting with my roots. And uh, it's just funny. It's only a story that God could write. 
So you're, we're going to be talking about being a leader today. And I just, I love the idea that you included your family, your, and I, when I'm, when I mean your family, I don't necessarily mean just your wife, but I mean your, your children in, in praying about leaving everything that they know and moving to a completely different country. Right. Um, yeah. And, and they prayed about it and they were with you on it. And, and I think that's, that's pretty radical. I just recently just heard about, I was, I was listening to something that Jeff Bethke put out and he talks about, um, he talks about integration in our families and integrating them into the, the call that God has in our lives, not separating them, not segregating them. Um, he talks about like how Billy Graham was just like so focused on the call that God had put on his life but he separated himself from his family and, and left them to deal with their stuff and went and yeah. answered the call by himself. And, and he talks about like how, how that it doesn't, he doesn't see that necessarily in the scripture. Everything's integrated. The family is integrated. You know, um, Abram brought his family and his people on, on the journey and the call with God. And, and they, they kind of answered the call together but I love the, the sense that you 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 were sensitive to your children enough to to integrate them into that decision making. Um, how how old were they with at that point? At that point, my oldest was uh, maybe ten or eleven. Okay. And my youngest was I don't know one or two. <laughs> really young. Wow. Man, you yeah. went to we... to Indonesia. It's crazy. <laughs> you are nuts. We've. Uh... Yeah, we've always felt like um, this this call that we have to serve God is is a family call. So you know, in various points of my career, maybe I'm the person with with the pastor title or or whatnot, but it's always been kind of woven into just the fabric of our family life. Of when I was the college pastor in LA at, at the church uh, Eric attends. You know, we just left our door unlocked. College students would walk in and out. We had students living with us at different parts uh, of the year. And the number of students living with us kind of depended on the time of the year. Um, and so our, our kids just grew around it. And part of that uh, experience of kind of being in our college ministry was going abroad every summer to a different place and serving. And our kids just always came along with us because we can't leave them behind. So, um, yeah, when it was time to permanently move, we, we wanted to make sure our kids were included in that decision and included in kind of hearing God. Um, one thing I'm, I'm just curious about, like when we talk about, we talk about leadership, what is, what's, what's the definition of leadership for you? For me, um, yeah, I would say that it's it's having vision or a conviction for something that either doesn't exist yet or isn't the way it should be, and then the ability to, to see it through. So um, it could be maybe an example from the Old Testament would be like Nehemiah, right? He sees uh, the walls of Jerusalem just kind of completely destroyed and God puts it on his heart to rebuild it. And so he's kind of the one that oversees uh, kind of the reconstruction of that all, but it doesn't have to be that big. It can be as little as like leading yourself, seeing maybe in a fitness perspective, like I'm not where I want to be with my fitness and then leading yourself to, build those habits and yeah, get exercising and things like that and kind of seeing it through into a new lifestyle. So really like personal responsibility is like huge, right? For a leader, um, ownership of, of situations, ownership of, um, the, the issue ownership of direction for, um, not only their own life, right? Uh, speaking as a leader and just like kind of separated out, um, but also for the lives of those he leads, right? And and primarily for us as men, it's like our families, right? Um, so 
I love I love the idea that that ownership is huge in that, right? Where do you feel mm-hmm. like you've you've been challenged with that since moving to a completely different country? Yeah. So um I just read the biography of Will Smith and he tells a story of when he and his brother were like little kids. His dad growing up his dad owned like a AC repair business or a refrigeration business. And so just kind of like out of seemingly out of nowhere uh his dad makes them build like a 20 foot brick wall just from scratch. So he he tells a story of like basically it, it takes them an entire year and you know one day they're kind of laying bricks in the cold and Will is just like complaining the whole time like we are never going to finish this wall. And um so finally their dad he just has it with their complaining. He's like, "Hey, your job is not to finish this wall. It's to lay one brick. And then it's to lay one more brick. And then it's to lay one more brick. Because if you just think about the wall, it's too big of a task. But if you can think about laying one brick at a time, um, then, then that's kind of puts it into something that you know you can do. Mm-hmm. So they end up fishing the wall, but what it does for the kids, right? So it's, it's the dad that has the vision for the wall, but he has to teach his kids like, hey, um, these are important habits to build, like hard work, consistency. And I mean, to teach something to do, to teach kids something, to do something every day for a year and be good at it is like really, yeah. really tough. Yeah. Um, but like that story sticks with Will and really is kind of one of the drivers for why he's so hardworking and why he's able to be so consistent in his effort of excellence. Interesting. So with, with being, let me, let me, let me back up. Hold on. Yeah. Since come, you know, since landing in Indonesia, what do you feel have been your, your biggest challenges and your biggest uh, successes. Yeah. I mean, our biggest challenges we've, we've had health things. So, you know, we've, we've all been hit with COVID. Uh, my wife's been hit multiple times with it by now. Um, cult, like adapting in a new culture. When I first moved here, I didn't have language. There's like so much misunderstanding and it's, it's hard to love people well when you like don't understand their culture and then it's really been costly for our kids my oldest one especially um there's been weekends where we ask him how he's doing and he just weeps because he really misses uh home he's in high school now he's a freshman and um yeah i I guess I'll, i'll share a little bit more about my oldest son um you know he got Instagram recently, you know, he's in high school now, and we thought it was a way for him to connect with his friends back home. And so this past fall, right, he's seeing all his friends, like going to football games. Um, He showed me a picture of his friends one time at homecoming, and he's like, Dad, what's homecoming? And I had to explain (laughs) it to him. And he's seeing like what he's missing in the US. And he's thinking like, I'm really missing out on life. Um, and I told him like, look, man, I guarantee you, if you flip Instagrams and you show your, your friends what you're doing in Indonesia, I guarantee you, they think what you're doing is so much cooler. And one of the ways that I feel like I've had to talk to him is, hey, like you've had to give these things up and you're really sad, but I... I'm kind of of the belief that God never downgrades us. So if he called you here and remember you prayed about this and God told you yes too. So if God called you here for sure, he didn't downgrade you or yeah, for sure. He didn't call you to a worse life. I always feel like God calls us to a better life. And so you need to work out with God. Like, okay, what is the exchange here? Okay. I've given up homecoming and football games, what is it that being here is supposed to make it worth it for what I've traded in? Yeah. 
And uh, he's having to struggle with that and, and work through that. But That's I, really I feel powerful, like, man. Man. He, I mean, he's, he's 13? He's 14. 14, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, remember, I remember when this was happening and you were telling me about this. And I was thinking, like, man, like, I was feeling so bummed for him, you know? And I actually, you hadn't shared this conversation that you had yet until right now. And it really, it really does make me think about I mean, what you're teaching him and what you're leading him into in this season is kind of like contentment, right? And it's like what you just spoke on was essentially what everyone goes through. You know, like I, it's funny. Like I, I visited Mario a year, like last year, and ever since I've met them, I always, I literally had this thing in the back of my mind. Like, man, they they get to live in Hawaii. Like it's so <laughs> cool. Right. And it's like, not, not that it isn't. And then, but it's like, I, I remember the very last time I went and visited, we we're hiking. And then uh, Mario points out this, like the wealthiest, it was like this wealthiest triangle in, in Oahu. Remember that Mario? What was it called again? Wealthiest what in Oahu? It was like the wealthiest little triangle in Oahu. It was like the, oh, this uh, little, you said this little section is like Kahala. every house is like, three, was it? Kahala? No, something else. I remember I wrote about it. Like I blogged, like I, I wrote a little journal entry, something else. Lanikai? It was, was it on we the, could was see it on the same? top of Coco. You can see it on top of Coco Head. It was like right under Diamond Head. Yeah, yeah. So that's, oh, right under Diamond Head. That's uh, Portlock. Portlock. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, you're, you're like, tell me about it. And I was like, man, like, man, I, I just think about living here and like, living in that area and then being, being in Oahu and how you have access to like all of the Island and you're still within like drive of like food and really good tourism, like related stuff. And I was just thinking about, I was like, I paused for a moment and I thought like, that's not the life I want, you know, but you think it's the life that you want when you're not there and you get, and you hike to the very top. And you're like, you, you, you start to reevaluate everything. Cause I don't know, maybe, maybe it's like the, the, like you see the grass and say, it is, it is green, but it's not necessarily greener, you know? And that's hard. That's hard. Especially, you know, at, at his age, it's like the, the FOMO is the realist, but I don't know that it changes so much. Even as I know, this is a great lesson for adults too, as, as we go through different seasons, you want different things. You are part of, you know, different social groups where you maybe you feel like people are doing different things and you, you feel like you're missing out if you're not doing the same thing. Um, and it just reminds me of like alignment into what your purpose is. And when you don't know what it is, everything is shiny. Everything is attractive and it's hard not to get stuck, you know? So good job leading him through that. That's, that's, that's a, that's a great, that's a great conversation. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that, 14 years old, I had any kind of conversation with any adult about anything like that in my life. So <laughs> that's powerful. Me neither. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, so what is, <clears throat> with that, with that whole idea, right, for him, um, what are some things that he's doing or you're leading him through, even with the Instagram thing, right? Like, what are some things that, that you're helping develop in him or, or reveal to him that, um, you know, what his life is consisting of right now actually isn't as much FOMO as it is, you know, um, being overflowed, right, through, through the spirit? Right, yeah, yeah, because I, I think what, what's at the heart of uh, his struggle right now is loneliness or the need for companionship. Yeah. And I, I think what I want to lead him through is, you know, cause I've, I've talked to him too about like, Hey, in, in different seasons of life, you actually have friends come and go and, and you come and go too. Right. Even if he were to stay in LA at the end of high school, he would probably go to college and maybe one or two friends, Max, would go happen to go to the same college as him. But um, there's there's always going to be and I, like even for me as his father, like I, I lost my father at 17. 
So I can't even promise that I'll be around for his whole life, right? Or his mom. Um, but he, what I want him to learn is that there's always going to be someone, his name is Jesus, that will always be with you, right? That's, that's his promise in Matthew 28. And uh, what you need, what your heart really needs, you can only find in him. And so when he feels these big feelings and when he feels like there's lack, uh, what, how I want him to respond is to ask God to provide it for him. And I mean, practically speaking, he needs friends. So we've, we've also done things like put him in basketball uh, things. Um, and we're trying to give him positive experiences in Indonesia too. Um, so, you know, next week is their spring break. I'm taking him diving uh, along with his little brother. And so I, I want him to know I'm there for him and, and that we can talk about anything. But yeah, more than anything, I, I want him to be able to go to God and get what he needs there. Do you feel like because of your the way that like the way that you guys have chosen to live, <clears throat> do you think that it changes the way that you necessarily lead your family versus if you were back in Azusa. Yeah, I mean, for sure. So we lived in a very nice part of, I mean, we lived in Glendora. Um, I know, you know, Glendora, Eric, it, it, it yeah. was, it's a really nice place. And it's very different from where we live now. We live, I mean, yeah, Indonesia is a third world country, right? So we see poverty, it's in our faces every day. Um, we wake up to the smell of burning trash every day the the sounds of um just motorbikes zooming by our house every day um and the the poverty is in your face here in a way that we never had to uh see when we lived in glendora yeah. and so our our kids or our everyday experience of living here is much different um mm. but that's part of the reason why we wanted to move here it's because we we want our kids to not see a sanitized world because the world is a really broken place. And um, this kind of forces them to work through uh, yeah. and process what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. Yeah. It feels like in, in every, this is something that I'm growing into and in every season of life, like leadership looks different. Right. Like the way that you had to make that decision, you, you, you define leadership as having a vision for something that doesn't exist, seeing it, creating a plan for it and then seeing it through. Right. That, right. Yeah. That, that full, that, that full integration. Right. Um, yeah. I've been reading through, I've been reading through uh, John Maxwell's uh, what's it called. It's called the uh, 24, uh, 21 most powerful minutes in the leader's day. Uh, I've been reading that. It's, it's almost like a little devotional. Uh, it's, I, I read it uh, five days a week. You get the weekends off because I guess you you don't have to be a leader on the weekends. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you get, but, you get, but you get the weekends off. So it's a Monday through Friday thing. And it's just, it's like a five to eight minute read every day. And it's crazy because like I remember I, I had read through this a long time ago, maybe my last year of college, and it didn't make any sense to me. It didn't, ha it didn't have really any meaning. It's like, it's like when you read a textbook in college and you're like, okay, cool. And then maybe like 10 years later, you are in a real life scenario. You're like, oh my goodness. Like I read, like I read about that and now it matters. But, you know, I, I see you as a leader. Uh, I also, I also met you as a leader, right? You were a leader as in, you know, you, you were, you were a college pastor. So it was, it was, it was a title, right? Uh, I call that, I call that positional leadership. Right. It's like, yeah. so there's in the five phases of leadership, there's positional leadership, uh, permissive, um, and there's production related then people development. And then the last one is person people follow you because of the person that you are. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as I get older, it's something that I've noticed more and more in terms of people, just the people in my life or just people that are acquaintances or even people that I follow from afar, whether through social media, you know, now you can be connected to anybody, right? Like I've, I've had access to leaders that, I probably would have never had in my lifetime because of the internet. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like just, just the fact that the three of us are speaking right now and we're, and we're leaders in our respective circles of different things that we, the three of us can just talk like this is not, wouldn't have happened without the internet, right? And wouldn't have happened without my awesome technical difficulties on Zoom and all that stuff. And, but these are these things that allow us to do that. But when did you know, like, you know, and, and I think there's different layers of leadership, like maybe to, to your family, you're probably the highest level of leadership. You're, there, there's obviously they, your kids listen to you because you're their dad, right? Of course, in positionally, but they also, <laughs> but they also, you're also the leader of your family because of the person that you are to them. You're like, you are their father and you actively take on that role. And uh, so my question is how, like, at what, what age did you recognize for the first time or in different seasons, did you, did you realize or know that you were a leader? Oh man. It's, um, Probably, yeah. See, the thing is, I, I I grew up like in in Georgia, right? So in a time where um, there were not very many Asians living in Georgia. I was going to say like that. I want to hear about that upbringing a little bit because <laughs> being Indonesian, fully Indonesian, your both parents are Indonesian, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Living in. <clears throat> not a very, uh, not a very, uh, what do we call it? Uh, melting pot of a place. Very, very, you know, very white. Right. Or, and well, not very ethnic. Right. I mean, very white and or black. Right. There's like, kind of like there's two, two camps there and of ethnicities and you come in and you're kind of Brown, you know, like you're like Brown, you look totally different than everybody else. Like yeah. how, what, what was that like? And yeah. And, and how did, how did you develop leadership skills through that? Yeah. I, I got to say it was kind of painful. Uh, uh, maybe other than everyone thought I knew like karate or whatever, you know, <laughs> I used to get asked all the time, oh you know karate? but dude, I, I felt so out of place. I felt like nobody knew me. I felt like I didn't really have any friends, you know, I, I'd get asked all the time, like, where are you from? How's your English so good? Uh, just, <laughs> wow. And wow. I, I, the county I grew up in, actually, when I was in elementary school, actually all the way through high school, it was still running integration programs. No So kind of like the oh. north part of our school district was like richer, Caucasian. And then the southern part of the school district was, was poorer African-American. So to integrate the schools, um, they allowed African-American kids to pick any school in the school district they wanted to go to, and they would bus them to that school. Um, and then to attract more, more Caucasian students to the southern areas, um, they would create magnet programs uh, in those schools. So one school would have the science and math magnet program. The other one would be like the wow. arts one. And so since I was neither, I could just, you know, let's go anywhere. (laughs) But I think what it did though, was like, I was keenly aware of like my otherness that I I didn't belong. And really like in middle school, high school, um, I kind of discovered my belonging in the church. And um, it was kind of like the first time I ever felt like I had real friends that I was accepted for who I was, what I looked like, the funny things that I ate. Um, and it was kind of the first place I found acceptance. But I mean, because of that experience, I think that I am aware of when people feel left out or when people feel like they don't belong or just people on the margins in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I forgot the original question. I just like, you know, what, what kind of, what start, I mean, you started to think, you know, mention a little bit about like knowing about people that are more marginalized, right. And yeah, kind of yeah. people on the periphery, because you felt that you, you were very sensitive to that, um, right. which I think is, is also a leadership skill. But my question was, you know, what what leadership skills did you do you feel that you obtained through growing up in Atlanta? 
um, and that you were able to, you know, start developing in your life. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, as a, as a kid, I would say that I kind of defaulted to this, um, mode of wanting to please everyone. So I would either be really, really nice or be really, really funny. And that was like kind of my way to get in with people. Or, you know what, since I was like, did really well in school, I'd let people cheat off me. <laughs> so that they'd like me. You were that guy. <laughs> I was that guy. I let everybody cheat off you me. Were the, you, were the, uh, you were the Georgia plug. Oh, man. <laughs> the Atlanta plug. Um, but, you know, I, I really like, I, but kind of my heart, though, was very insecure and very shy. And it really took somebody calling me out um, and seeing leadership potential in me and inviting me mm. uh, to explore that leadership potential is when I first began to, yeah, think about myself as a leader or mm. um, do kind of leadership things. Yeah. That and segues. So, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. That segues perfectly into my next question, which was, like what were some of the leaders or the most influential leaders that you've had in your life and like, you know, through different stages, like what, and what, what, what were some things you took away from them? Yeah. I remember my, um, my youth pastor, Jason, um, he was just present for me in a way that um, I, I just was really missing uh mentorship during especially during my teen years you know I, I mentioned my dad passing away when I was 17 so most of my middle school and high school years uh, he was just battling through health stuff and so um, you know I, I don't blame him I don't have any kind of animosity towards that situation but he just wasn't able to be my dad um, and then my brother is a, my older brother is a few years older and was already away at college, but like Jason's just presence in my life um, and pouring into it. He just gave me all the time in the world. He gave me the opportunity to work out my questions about the purpose of life. And so I had these big questions, right? Like, okay, like my parents, they, they weren't educated in Indonesia. They worked like in factories in America. My dad was a chef and a janitor and it was like all about the american dream and my question was like okay well if if my dad's like not even going to see the american dream fulfilled in me then like what is the purpose of life um and like jason my youth pastor just let me ask those questions um and you know even before i gave my life to to christ he just like lived the love of Christ in his actions. So, you know, we'd go shoot, shoot pool after school. He'd just pick me up. We'd go to the pool hall and shoot and just talk about life. Um, but he just really served me that way. And then, you know, being a teenager too, and being like a third culture kid, I had all these like cultural clashes with my mom. And he just was a really good, uh, go between when my mom and I had trouble communicating I just was able to see both sides and explain it to the both of us in a way that um I yeah, like not pe many people in my life have been able to help me build that bridge so I would say like yeah he was a bridge builder but more than anything like he's just the ministry of presence you know he was just there for me mm. you guys still keep in touch we still do. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. I read, I read somewhere or I heard somewhere that um, you're not a real leader until the leaders, the leaders that you lead have created new leaders. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you're yeah, a leader when the people that you lead have now are now leaders to others is what I mean. Yeah. 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 Absolutely.
I think that what you see in the scriptures is this heart to multiply yourself by investing in other people and building new leaders. And Paul talks about it in, in second Timothy. He, he says to Timothy, like, you know, take what I've given to you, uh, give it to other people who will give it to other people. Yeah. And so just in that one verse in second Timothy two, two, you see four generations of leadership. Yeah. And, you know, like it, 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 it's not lost upon me that as we're recording this, right. Like the world is watching the leader of the United States and the president of Russia and just what's going on with yeah. Russia and Ukraine. Um, and so, you know, I think we kind of think of leaders as these huge figures in the world, but if you look at Jesus model in scripture and how he spends his time, right. Of course he has those times where he speaks in, pr- in front of a, you know, 5,000 people, right. When he feeds the 5,000 or, you know, that's maybe even more than that. But if you look at how he spends in ta- his time in the gospels, he actually spends the majority of it just with the 12, with his 12 disciples and with, his 12 disciples, he spends even more time with just three. Peter, James, and John are the ones that he's closest to. And so, you know, my idea of changing the world really isn't like speaking in front of stadiums. Although, you know, people that do that, they're amazing and they can be influential too. But uh, I also think that changing the world is just investing in one or two or three people's lives and kind of passing forward what you learn, what you get. That's powerful, man. Um, that's something I've really been praying about lately, even for myself is in this next season, who am I supposed to be sowing into? You know, like I, I look back on the last, like, I just had, I just had lunch yesterday at um, Ding Tai Fung with uh, this guy that used, so he's a, he's a pastor, actually John Lowe knows him. So he's the pastor at Bridge Church. His name is Dennis. And okay. he used to be a member of my gym, maybe 2015, 2016. Okay. And awesome dude. And we're just connecting and we're just catching up. And I was like, man, like God has done so much in my life in these past, like I would say in the last year has been crazy. And then I go back the last two years. Like, I feel like in the last two years, more has happened than in the last 20. Right. But, but it's like, maybe it's maybe part of this. I'm just more conscious of what he's been doing, but I was, I was talking to him and, um, why did I just even bring him? I just like lost my thought, train of thought. Um, I was talking to him. We were, we were grabbing lunch, and dude, what was the last thing that you just said? Last thing that I just said is investing or, in a few people. Oh, and investing in people. So I look at yeah. him. He's someone that even when he joined my gym, I like when he joined the gym. I was a boy. I was like a boy, dude. I was seven years younger, right? So that I was uh, barely in my mid twenties. And I didn't know, but he was investing in me by being around me and picking my brain in a certain way. And then I see that with like, like Mario has done that. You have done that for me in different ways. Like I, I ask you about like fatherhood questions, like all the time, right? Like, oh, as a dad, how do you deal with this? Or as a dad, like, how do you do this? And I, and I was asking those questions even before I was a dad, right? And, you know, same thing with Mario. And I think about the leaders that I've had over the last few years, like, you know, they, it's not like these were people that were speaking on exactly. They weren't, it wasn't like, it wasn't like Billy Graham said something. And then I, now because of that, my life is transformed forever. Like it, it really wasn't they, they give great words. Like I, I follow Stephen Furtick on Instagram. Like that dude has like fire. He says some good stuff, but in the day to day, it's the people that you're conversating with. It's the people that are spending time, you know, asking you questions, the hard questions and being able to call you out when you need to. And, and give, you know, giving each other permission to do that in your lives, you know, that's, that's leadership, you know? Absolutely. And I, you know, one of the things that I feel like we see in scripture is Jesus, Jesus makes these like unlikely people into exemplars of leadership yeah. um, in the scripture. He's always pointing people out. <laughs> and one of my favorites is um, in John four, it's the woman at the well. Right. So you guys probably know the story, like, you know, Jesus encounters this woman in the middle of the day. She's like drawing water by herself. And uh, eventually, you know, Jesus reveals to her that he's the Messiah. And so 
what we know about this woman is that she's had like five husbands or something like that. And the person that she's with now is not her husband. So she's kind of a woman that doesn't have a good reputation. But by the end of the story about the woman, um, it says that many Samaritans, so she was Samaritan, many Samaritans believed because of her testimony. And so, right, so she's not like an influencer in the positive sense. Like people don't, don't, yeah, she's not respected. She's notorious. Um, She's notorious, right? But she's had this encounter with Jesus and apparently all she does is like, she just tells her story, right? Come mm-hmm. see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's all she did. And then because of her, like the whole town gets saved. Yeah. Um, and so she becomes a leader for that town. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though she doesn't have maybe the, what we would think of as the, the classical yeah. um, leadership characteristics. Yeah. She just has this experience and then she's willing to share about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of of experiences, you know, I think about leadership too sometimes. Sometimes leadership is not necessarily, or or being being a leader isn't necessarily, not necessarily a title or like a, um, like you are a leader to someone, therefore that person is not a leader to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh So like, because we we often think to myself, you think to yourself like, oh, this, if this person is a leader, for example, your boss or something like that, um, you, that person is now your leader and you think to yourself like, okay, I'm like, I'm like in some way subservient, subordinate or subservient to them in some way. And I was thinking about like, just literally back to like when leadership happens. And I was thinking about a leadership moment yesterday where I, I texted Mario. So I'm in, I'm doing this like four week dad course right now, family leadership course. And Mario, I sent him this text of like, I saw this thing. I copy and pasted it. Uh, I copied it. I like edited it because it really hit me really good. It was about like, purity or like sexuality and i was like it's really good and i edited it uh like mildly like maybe 10 percent to make it more like what was hitting for me specifically and then i i pasted it to him i go yo like what do you think about this like i want to use this and then he and he basically in that very moment hits me back and like i had this pit in my stomach of like dang like i didn't do good work right mm. um because i pride myself on being excellent Right. And sometimes leadership like can come down in the form of just accountability or in the form of like calling someone to like, I, I think it was just quote by, I think it was, I think it was Jordan Rayner. Um, he says the idea, uh, the idea is the book is called master of none. And he says the idea of being described as mediocre, a mediocre master of none should make us like sick to our stomachs as Christians. Mm. Why? Because mediocre work fails to accomplish the essence of the Christian life, right? Which is to serve others and glorify God, right? So mediocre work fails to accomplish the essence of which, like, it's, it's excellent. It's like, it's excellence. It's just showing up and doing good work because we're supposed to. And then I, I was like, thinking about what he was saying to me. And he was, he was like, this is good. Like, he's like, if you feel like this is good, like good enough, then like do it basically. And I was like, like, uh, no, like I'm not, I'm not going to go with good enough. I'm going to go with what's best. Right. But if he hadn't said something, then I would have just been okay with good enough in that moment. And that, in that moment, that was leadership, even though we're kind of like peers in this thing that we're doing together, but he led me out yeah. of that, like out, out of that, in that very moment. And I was like, dang, like that's, that's leadership, even among peers or your friends. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Thanks, Mario. <laughs> That's good well, stuff. Um, one one thing that I was just like thinking about is like along the same lines, Eric was was that you know just because just because there's leadership qualities in people, right, um, and they're leaders in specific areas, doesn't mean that you can't you can't swap leadership because of your strengths, right? Yeah, my strengths are not Eric's strengths all the time. And Eric's strengths are not my strengths all the time. There are some places that we, we meet and we are, we are strong together, but there are, there are different things like this where, you know, Eric's a great businessman. I'm terrible at business. You know, it's just like, that's just, I'm learning and I'm getting better, but, but there's, there's things where, where we get to do exactly what I did yesterday in, in a small context. 
in larger, larger arenas of life. Right. And I can lean on Eric or Eric can, Eric can like catapult me into excellence and I can do the same for him in different areas. And I think true leadership is recognizing is really recognizing where, where you can support and add value to each individual's life um, in order for everyone to grow better together. Right. And I think, I think that's a huge I think that's a huge theme of leadership that we don't really talk about too much, or I don't really hear heard too much, but um, yeah, I just wanted to like iterate that a little bit. Um, Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, we are coming down to this. I can't believe it's like kind of already, we've already burned through this hour, but um, (laughs) we want to, we want to fast. Yeah, I did. Um, We want to, pull out the, the shotgun questions here for yeah. you, okay. Roger. Um, All right. Just core can, five questions that we ask. Can I ask you. one more question yeah, before yeah, we shotgun? Just, I, I really want to hear this one because I think this one is, I think one of the things about leadership is that I people don't. Questions. Oh, you do? Okay, cool. So um, one thing that people don't realize when it comes to leadership is that leadership, it doesn't have to be, but it can be and often more than not is terribly lonely right? Mm. Leadership can feel really, really lonely and really, really isolating. Like you don't know what others, like you don't feel like others know what you're going through because you're doing this thing and you're leading the thing, right? And I I felt that a ton through the last 10 years. And then leadership also requires us to do really, really hard things. So the question that I had was, what what do you feel like you could top three or top one, whatever you want? What's the hardest thing you've ever had to do as a leader? The hardest, oh, oh man, okay. Probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do as a leader was was let someone go. Uh, he was he was working for me, and or he was working under me, and like we, you know, in, in Christian ministry, um, I would say like sometimes we make decisions in ministry that. Um, where excellence and experience and, you know, some of the character things are, are overlooked mm-hmm. uh, because someone is charismatic or like really loud or really confident. Mm-hmm. And so me and this other guy, we just did not see eye to eye on things. And he was, uh, we're okay now, by the way. So I, I want to make sure I, I, I honor this person in the way I talk about him. We're, we're friends. Um, we still talk. But in terms of like working together, it just did not work. Um, and what was what was hard was like, I needed him to serve, serve my vision. Um, and I, at this point in his development, um, following me, was really important and he he just couldn't do that and i remember just coming to a certain point where i felt like man i don't think either of us are going to make it as leaders unless we we end this thing between Mm -hmm. us and so um yeah i had to let him go Uh, it was really hard because personally we were very good friends Mm -hmm. but our working styles it just didn't mesh and so um, I had to put aside that I would hurt his feelings or maybe it would hurt our friendship, but I felt like it was for the vision of what I was going for. Yeah. I couldn't compromise on what I felt like God was calling me to do. And for whatever reason, his being on my team was holding me back from that. Mm-hmm. Huge. Um, just being able to lead in a, in a hard situation like that, where, where you're, you're thinking about, you're thinking about, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, just you're actually yesterday. Um, you're thinking about relationship, long-term relationship. You're like, you're thinking about friendship. You're thinking about all these other, like um, uh, not specific to the situation things that will be rippled effect, right? Because of this one yeah. situation. Um, and able to like persevere through that for the best of everyone. Right. Yeah. So my final question before our shotgun questions 
is, um, what is it you look for in someone uh, as a leader? Mm. Uh, that's good. Um, I'll, I'll throw out a few kind of examples. Uh, I, I really like persistence and grit. Um, there's the story of the persistent widow in Luke 18. She just keeps going to this judge until she gets what she wants. Um, and then, you know, it says that Jesus tells his disciples the story about her to show them that they should always pray and never give up. And to me, like, okay, everybody's human, right? So every leader will make a mistake. Every leader at some point will, will change course or realizing that their strategy is incorrect and learn from it. But it's kind of like that, that persistence and not giving up. Uh, that's one of the key things I look for. Um, <laughs> but I, I also want to see like really like conviction and faith and then acting on it too. So that kind of goes with the persistent grit, but mm -hmm. um, kind of like another quick story is like the, the four friends that bring the paralyzed man to meet Jesus because they know he can heal their, their friend. And so they, they look for a way in, they can't find a way in. So they get creative, right? Like they literally tear off the roof and lower their friend down and think outside of the box. But they're just so convicted that like this guy has to meet Jesus and we're going to do everything we can to make it happen for him to, to meet Jesus. Um, and I, I think the, the cool part of that story, too, is it says that Jesus saw their faith and then he heals the man. Right? So whatever it is about that situation, it, it wasn't just about the paralyzed man, but he sees their faith collectively. Mm. Um, so that conviction and faith and then acting on it. And then I think the last is just someone who gives of themselves extravagantly, um, whether it's of their time or of their resources, like, you know, someone means something or, you know, someone's convicted to do something or, you know, they really believe in something if they make a personal sacrifice for it. Mm. Right. And so, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's yeah. that story of the woman who kind of breaks the jar of oil over Jesus' feet. Uh, and the disciples, or they, they think that she's wasted all this money that could have gone to the poor. Uh, but Jesus says, because of what she's done, um, whenever this story is told, people are going to remember her, right? So, and that ends up being true. And so she's just this exemplar of like someone who gives extravagantly of herself. Yeah. I, I really, really like that last one because I think, I think about this a lot. And if you're not able to give your time, resources, energy, emotions, uh, even space in your mind, which is a huge one, I think that we, we all forget, is if you're not able to give those things, then do you even really have skin in the game for whatever it is that you care about, right? It really comes down to because because I mean where our values and our and and what we care about are always reflected in, in pretty much two things: what we do with our time, our calendar, right, and the second is what we do with our wallet or our finances, right. And I think yeah. um, and and all the other emotions, the mind, like the way that we think, it is all it operates upon how we. Take, those are the two actionable things that you can kind of look at, right? It's like how you spend your time, how you spending your money. Those are like the the verbs, right? But yeah, but it talks about it really shows you where your heart is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Um, all right. Well, let's let's jump into um, our shotgun. The shotgun questions. We got to come up with a better name for that, but uh, <laughs> something like top five. I don't know something. Uh, all right. So we'll. Uh, I'll start. And uh, all right, Phil. You're. I mean. Uh, uh, Roger, you are in, you know, Phil. Um, I do know Phil. Phil's my buddy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you are in Indonesia. You're in a completely different place. You probably had a regimen of taking care of yourself back in California or in Atlanta. Um, how do you take care of your physical self? Your, what's your physical practice right now? Um, taking care of your 
uh, body. Yeah. So actually, Eric still coaches me. Oh, uh, all right. So let's he programs go. for me plug. every day. Shameless plug. And, <laughs> you know, speaking of of leaders who follow, I've I've had to let Eric lead me in this area because I I don't know uh, about nutrition and exercise and um. So one of the ways that he's been, I mean, and you know, he Eric is quick to hold his friends accountable, right? He has told me like, <laughs> you are very consistent it. at being inconsistent. He loves it, and so. Right now, one of our accountability pieces is I send him a picture of every meal that wow. I eat wow, so that he can help me figure out and learn uh, what nutrition is and how to take care of myself. But yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm working through knee injuries and back injuries right now. And so Eric's programming things that are helping me uh, rehabilitate. But I'm still, I'm still very much into CrossFit. I'm like really excited for 22.1. I think it's dropping today, right? It's right now, like as we're talking right now. (laughs) Right now. I can't wait to see what it is. Uh, But yeah, I I still work out and um, I really miss the CrossFit Reason community, but uh, I'm I'm glad that I still get to stay connected in a way through Eric. I'm even wearing your shirt. Here we go. Dang, look at that. Here we go. Do you remember what the back of this shirt says? Fittest and Van Doom, bro. Show, them, show, right. show, show the fans, dude. <laughs> Fittest and Van Doom, man. Oh man, love it. That's hilarious. Uh, all right, Eric. Second question is: uh, How do you take care of your heart? Oh man, um, I, I wake up every morning and uh, I worship and pray and spend time with God. And all the things that I'm having a hard time with, I surrender to him. I know that's one of the values for you guys, right? Yep. Uh, surrender to God and say, God, I, I need help in this area. Um, I need you to keep my heart soft because so much of yeah. what I see here can harden me. Um, and yeah, I, I try to do what I can to, I have weekly dates with my wife. Um, we have daily dates in a way where we process. Um, awesome. I spend time with my kids every day. Just on a practical note, you said you start your morning with worship and prayer. How long is that? 30 minutes. And then the the community that I'm with, we also, then we pray together every day at 6.30. So, yeah. Cool. Next one's a good Mario question. (laughs) Uh, How do you take care of your mind? Um, How do I take care of my mind? I... I try to read as much as I can. Um, so I'm always reading a book and it doesn't have to be Christian or uh, nonfiction. Um, but I'm also, I think of myself as a, as a lifelong learner. So even as we speak, since I'm a social entrepreneur, I always feel like I need to learn more and grow. I'm actually in the midst of applying for um, an MBA right now. Um, so I always feel like taking care of your mind is, is to grow and to learn and to receive input. Huge. I love that. Awesome. What are you going to get your MBA in? Um, probably social entrepreneurship. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, second to last is how do you take care of your soul or your spirit? Hmm. So there's kind of like the, the daily things, the weekly things, the monthly things, and then the, the yearly things. And so um, the, the daily thing is spending time with God. Uh, kind of the, the monthly or, or quarterly thing is I go on a retreat by myself mm. uh, every month. Oh, no, sorry, every quarter. Yeah, every and month, just kind of reflect <laughs> every quarter, just for one night. Um, but I journal and I, I process and I kind of go through the big rocks that have happened, uh, over the last three months or so. And then every year I, I try to take a big vacation with the family, uh, mm-hmm. as a way of just resting my mind, body and soul and kind of resetting and, uh, things like that. What, uh, but, that's actually something that Diane and I plant. We, we have like our, our family values 
And we said that one of the things that we need to do on an annual basis is, and because it's because like, I could probably go without, I, mean, I don't say I could go without, I've actually grown my soul to enjoy vacations more, but I've just, mm-hmm. I've been such a like work, I'm such a workaholic, even on vacation, I work, right? So for me, a true vacation where like, I don't touch anything, think about anything and just stay like completely present is, has only been done one time, like I think in my entire mm. life. And um, so when you go on this vacation, just from a very practical sense, um, how long How long is it, is my question? How far away do you go? And is there any, is there any rules around that? Uh, the rules around that really are um, maybe a week long max. Okay. And it doesn't have to be far. I mean, it could be like, I live in Bandung, Bali is like an hour and a half flight away. So it doesn't have to be super far for us. But kind of the rules are like, I kind of detach from electronics and noise uh, being maybe the news or, or checking my emails or kind of being on my phone all the time. Mm -hmm. And I really just be present with my family and with myself and spend kind of even more time reflecting and being with God. Yeah. The first few things give, give Eric hives. Detaching. <laughs> getting better. I'm getting better. Huh? All right. All right. Here's our final one. Uh, how do you how do you care for or take care of your wallet or your finances? Oh man, that's good. Well, my uh, my wife is an accountant by oh, trade. There you go. So, so they spreadsheet every cent they spend. So we've got we've got spreadsheets for all our bills. But you know, early on in our marriage, we actually took a, a financial course together, and really, what we got out of it was um, living simply and living by uh, within our means. And uh, we found that the more we do that, the better we're set up for the future. So yeah, we we put away a certain amount. We give away a certain amount and um, anything that's left over, it uh, allows us to be generous with it. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Roger, for joining us, man. This is, this is a great episode. Um, just love your heart and love what you guys are doing out there. Um, just creating jobs for, for locals and trying to improve the industry around you and change lives. So good. Um, Eric, you want to, uh, you want to take us out? Yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening. And, uh, you know, today we have our awesome episode on, on leadership. I think our next guest where we got, we are talking about what's the next one more. Do you remember? And I, uh, I can't you're remember. You're testing me. You're testing me. Hold on. Oh. <laughs> I know it's Paul. I know it's Paul and, uh, Paul, Paul's okay. a serial yeah. entrepreneur. Talking uh, about posture syndrome. Uh, no. Posture syndrome. Being. Uh, oh, being a dad. Oh yeah. I think it's about yeah, being a father. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's about being a father. He's got he's got two the kids. Hello guy, his, right? Yeah, he's not. It's not two kids that are not his paternal kids. Right. Which is, oh, right. Yeah, and, but 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 he shows up for them as if they. I mean, they are his, but he shows up as if he was their paternal father and fathers and better than a lot of organic fathers I've seen. So um, awesome. Oh yeah, guys, thank you guys for, for listening. Uh, you know, it's, it's been an awesome journey. I, I, I deeply, deeply enjoy each of these conversations. I hope you guys equally and deeply enjoy listening and tuning in. And I hope that it blesses you. I hope that it fills your soul. These conversations give me life. I look forward to uh, this, this conversation every week and I wish I could have them every day. But um, I, I, I so, so look forward to these and, and they're just completely soul filling, especially just being able to connect with different people doing different things and just building uh, for the kingdom. And um, I never thought that 10 years ago we'd be doing anything like this. So uh, this is this is so cool to be able to do. Uh, thank you for journeying with us. If you'd like to connect with us. Um, we are Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at we the trust. Um, we also have a newsletter if you'd like. Uh, I think it's going to be attached to the episode on Spotify and Apple. And uh, we recently, I think we have a, are we announcing that today, Mario? Okay. And we recently just started a Patreon. So if you'd like to support us on Patreon, this, you know, we, this, is a, this is a nonprofit venture. We don't make any money doing any of this. 
um, but it would help us to cover some of the costs. And we take a lot of time away from our busy schedules to do this because we believe that this is something that we've been called to do and be purposeful, purposeful in, in this next decade. So let's uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much. Um, let's continue to run. If you want to connect with uh, Roger, we'll, we'll put some links there too that you can, you can connect with him. All right, guys. Awesome. See ya. Thanks for joining us today, guys. For more content, you can find us on Instagram at wethetrust or at wethetrust.com. If you'd like to connect further with Eric, you can find him on Instagram at Coach Eric Freedom. And if you'd like to connect further with me, Mario, you can find me on Instagram at the Mario Quesada. We'll see you next time.